And now it's time for our regular feature on a Wednesday evening. Colin Peacock joins us for Midweek Media Watch. And uh, it's our weekly catch-up with Knights, of course. Uh, welcome to the programme once again, Colin. Hi there, Mark. Your turn this this week. And, uh, and I see the price of petrol and diesel jumped up at midnight last Friday. The excise went back on. And, uh, you know, the media love that pain at the pump story, don't they? I'm guessing plenty of those in the media on the day. Yes, there were. So I thought uh, maybe we should start with uh, something other than the Beltway stuff, the politics, the issues we often uh, talk about so much and get a bit obsessed by in the media. Um, So yeah, something that people really care about. And I'm guessing that is the calculation that TVNZ's One News made on that Thursday night, the last night of the discount. Uh, Because of these days, of course, uh, the cost of living being what it is, all the other costs, the price of petrol rising in one go is magnified uh, because of that. Um, yeah, so yeah, TV, TVNZ One News did a lot. But here is um, here is how uh, host Jack Tame kicked it off. He had, sorry, this isn't great radio in a way, but if you can imagine it, he was standing in the studio, uh, the virtual studio, and they had a virtual red car, drove into the One News studio and parked uh, right next to him as he introduced the show like this. Good evening and buckle in. In just under six hours' time, we will all be paying more at the pump. The cost of filling up a car like this here is going up. Yeah, so I think in the end we possibly could have visualised what a car looks like <laughs> to be filled with petrol without Jack Tame having to point to a kind of non-existent digital uh, holographic one standing right next to him in the studio. Yeah. And one small gripe there, um, seeing as I'm in a funny mood, um, when he says there... We will all be paying more. Uh, not everyone owns a car. In fact, you know, I don't. Our family doesn't. And I think I've, I remember Jack Tame has written about this himself. I'm pretty sure he doesn't either. Or at the very least, uh, recently wrote about um, getting rid of his car to become like a one-car couple, something like that. Yeah. Of course, but, but many, many New Zealanders are affected by this, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, of course. So fair enough. And even if you don't own a car yourself, you will be affected by the price of fuel one way or or another. And yes, of course, it's going to be attached to the price of all sorts of things. And that was actually a part of, to be fair, TBNZ One News' coverage, uh, the epic coverage of uh, the night the petrol and diesel went up. Uh, But they they spent a lot of time covering the the kind of panic buying on that last day of the discount, as though it was a kind of... um, like a national emergency. They had reporters in the dark at several uh, petrol stations in the complete pitch darkness. I always feel sorry for reporters this time of year because those live crosses don't look great. And they were pretty much saying the same things, describing the same scenes. Um, but to again, to be fair, the the One News team had had broadened it out a bit. So they spoke to people, um, for example, who just had no option um, but to pay the higher price, people who didn't have the option of public transport. So just as an example of that, uh, reporter Logan Church um, interviewed a contract cleaner uh, who had all their gear with them, and she was saying, look, I you know, I simply cannot take all this gear on the bus. Yeah. And, of course, she had several sites to go to in a day, early starts, late starts. So for people like that, um, it was completely de- legitimate to point out that this is a significant day for them, not highway journeys and no way of, of avoiding the cost of it, better than just you know grumpy people in petrol queues. Uh, but there was an awful lot of those people in the queues. Here's an example of it. 
This is the Costco fuel station in West Auckland, which regularly has some of the cheapest prices in our biggest city. And as you can see behind me, the forecourse is just full. And what you won't be able to see is to my left, the line of cars and vehicles that are not only lining the street in front of me in a queue, but wrapping around the corner going through another intersection. But of course, Colin, people queuing around the clock and it happening at petrol stations in the dark of the night all over the place, even in a wet, cold night, that is what news is all about, isn't it? Yes, I suppose so, absolutely. Um, but I still don't think that it is an especially typical or rational reaction. It's a bit like um, people queuing up when there is a big Powerball prize, queuing up for those lotto tickets, you know, in the last couple of hours before the sale, hoping to get that big jackpot. Most people don't do it, but of course the ones who do, you know, stick out. Um, but look, most of the people surely in those queues, and I think in total, if you added them up around the country, it would still just be a handful of people who are prepared to do that on that Thursday night in the dark. Mm. Um, most people will only be saving, what, 15 or $20? Mm. Um, and, you know, just, just one time. I just don't think... I feel like we've seen this so many times before with the Auckland regional fuel tax and other things coming on. We've just seen these scenes before, and uh, I don't know how far it gets us to to play them out every time. Mm, and those uh, sorts of discounts from the retailers, etc., supermarkets, you know, uh, they offer them sometimes anyway, don't they, from time to time? Yeah, but I think maybe less so these days. I don't pay an awful lot of... Um attention to that but I have a feeling that's not so much used to get your old slip in the pack and save or whatever that said if you if you go and get your petrol this weekend it'll be 20 cents off rather than six or whatever maybe they don't do that maybe that's a sign of the times because that's all part of it I suppose that does need explaining the retail of it and where all these variables come in but just because I, I picked on um TVNZ I feel like I have a bit there too they weren't the only ones zeroing in on these grumpy people in the petrol queue so stuff for example under the uh, fairly eye-catching headline, this country is stuffed, in quotes, uh, reported on a guy called Jason Crew. Uh, it said, Jason is seven cars back from the petrol pumps and he's seething. It said, ahead of him, a, a man who's already topped up his van, and stuff spelt who's W-H-O-S-E. So I'm, I'm really getting picky now. Aren't yeah. I? Uh, he'd already topped up his van. He turned his attention to... Um, a series of containers, filling them up to the brim, pausing between each one to shrug his shoulders and say, sorry, to all the waiting cars who, you know, obviously mm. had to wait a whole lot longer. Uh, and then the guy in the Holden, Jason Crew, uh, tells Stuff's reporter, this is going to save me about $15 at the most, adding that he's not angry at his fellow motorists. He's angry at what they're being forced to mm. do. This country is stuffed, said Jason, and when you've got people queuing to save a few bucks on gas, it proves it. But I think it really proves that Jason wasn't um, organised enough to buy his petrol just, you know, mm. the day before, um, to say nothing of all the days that he and others could have had that discount over the past 16 months. Mm. And in fact, uh, of the same story, they had a guy filling up containers on a lower hut uh, forecourt. Uh, he's quoted as saying, I love this, um, it's probably not the best practice, but I just don't care anymore, uh, says this tradesman stockpiling uh, fuel for his vehicles, although the reporter noted he did care enough not to give the report his full name. He said, back in line, another motorist uh, told stuff he wasn't planning to store the fuel out of the fear that it might explode, but he applauded the people who were. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know quite why, why you think you should be applauding them if the, you've decided it's too dangerous yourself. And there I would also give kudos to... Logan Church uh, of One News because when he was reporting live in the dark, in the wet 
from that Costco queue in Auckland, uh, he pointed out that it, it is in fact not legal and unsafe to store, I think he said more than 50 litres mm. at home unless you have um, a safety certificate and an appropriate storage facility. The worst photo I saw I think was a looked like a, a van of some sort and it had uh, plastic containers, about four or five or six of them, in the car full of petrol. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary scene. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Now, did media give out perhaps tips, you know, news you can use, how to conserve fuel by driving properly or maintaining the car, etc.? Yeah, rather than loading up more than 50 <laughs> litres and a sort of explosive uh, mixture oh. on the back of your ute. But they did do a bit of that, again, to be fair. That was part of uh, TVNZ's kind of epic report um, last Friday. But it, again, it feels like, for me, we've seen this any time there's a big price or it hits some marker, like previously when it went over $2, you know, these earnest sound bites from the guy at the AA saying, you know, drive as smoothly as you can, don't go over 80 if you don't need to, all of that. Uh, and that, But that's fair enough. That is news people uh, can use. Um but it just feels to me like that was drowned out by a lot of stuff on, you know, where to get the cheapest fuel, um, which only sort of encourages people, I think, to, you know, to drive silly distances, waste time for what ends up being a pretty marginal saving. And, and actually stuff a couple of days after the discount came off uh, went around some of what had been listed as the cheaper places uh, to buy and found out that the costs had gone up by more than the, was it 29 cents in the end? Uh, so that was interesting. Places that had cut the price, maybe tried to get people in on the days before, it went up even more afterwards. But I don't live in Auckland, but I now have read over and over and heard over and over that Costco is the mm. place to go, Westgate, for the, for the cheap fuel. And I wasn't all that surprised to hear that um, AT had to cancel some entire bus trips and skip several stops in that location because people have been um, queuing up so much. Yeah. And it's not not just, I would I noted, on on that the day, that Thursday, that the, the discount came off. So if we go all the way back to June the 15th, uh, first up and morning report at RNZ, uh, on, on RNZ National, ran a report uh, that was titled The Staggering Difference in Petrol Prices Across the Country, which turned out to be only about Auckland. And uh, Ingrid Hipkiss introduced it on the day like this. Well, 61 cents, that is the staggering difference in the cost of a litre of unleaded 91 petrol across Auckland. And the AA says the difference could actually be up to 65 cents a litre for diesel. First up's Leonard Powell hit the road to find out if people will drive across town to save more than $30 to fill up an average car. It's a bluebird day and a good day to be filling up for fuel at Costco in West Auckland. So I'm guessing by that introduction that he did find people travelling to fill up there. <laughs> he did, in fact. He, he described it as 27 lanes humming with people filling up. So again, this is a couple of weeks before uh, the discount. So maybe people were doing what I was being critical of them um, for, you know, not leaving it till the, the last night. But this really, the, the report was about six minutes long and... It was full of people praising this Costco for this cheap fuel, um, and there there were indeed, uh, like this guy, people who'd driven a hell of a long way uh, to get there. Milldale resident Brent works in Avondale, a 100-kilometre round trip. Gas-wise, how often are you filling up here? Uh, on payday, <laughs> Wednesdays, yeah. <laughs> you were saying that compared to other places around, it's a big difference? Massive difference, like at least 20 to 30 cents a litre cheaper. And Brent's right. Less than five minutes away on Lincoln Road, Mobile charges 44 cents more, with unleaded 91 fetching $2.55 a litre. Yeah, so it, the report just went on and on with like that, comparing 
Uh, also, the prices at uh, nearby other stations or in, in neighbourhoods close by. But, you, you know, with the Costco, the scale of it, you might as well compare, you know, the price of stuff at the dairy, I think, with the cost of stuff at the supermarkets. Mm. Um, I suppose not quite the same in that all big petrol retailers will be operating at volume. Um, so, yeah, fair enough that some differences between the stations won't be quite so explicable or the, the variation. But, uh, you know, we will know local petrol stations and places where people live uh, in big numbers, they'll charge a premium for the proximity, for ones that have other services like the workshop or the shop or whatever. Um, and Costco, of course, although the reporter did mention it in his report, to be fair, um, that there's, I think, a $60 annual membership. But that's all factored in there. So, you know, the maybe lost leader is the wrong term, but certainly for something of the scale of Costco, it's just a, a completely different game. Mm, mm. But, you know, I think you learn more from that than you do just, you know, fox popping these people with their wound down car windows, mm. you know, complaining about the price, grumpy about having to queue up for it. I feel like we've gone on about this a bit too, too much mm. now, Mark, but right. uh, it did close that report with Ingrid uh, closing that off on morning report, kind of praising the people who'd done this thing of driving a big distance just to save a few bucks. And by our calculations, the cost of filling up your average 50-litre tank at Costco compared to mobile in St Heliers is $30.50, which is a lot, isn't it? Hats off to those very organised people. My fuel aspirations are limited to just filling up before the light's been flashing for too long and I freak out thinking I'm going to run out of petrol. Know that feeling too. <laughs> Actually, can I just uh, add this little piece? Um, you mentioned before who's and the spelling of who's or the pronunciation, or whatever. I heard twice, I think it was on one new, say, warrant of fitnesses. That's my pet hate, warrant of fitnesses. Goodness okay. no. Yeah, I know, but every time I say this, I just kind of cringe inside because I know that I might do an online piece of media on the weekend and yes. I'm just, I'm just going to have to proofread it a little more closely than I <laughs> did tend to because yeah, once as soon as you point these things out it comes back to, to bite you on the backside and in yeah. fact people could point out that I had what did I criticise TVNZ for spending almost 10 minutes on the um, <laughs> yes. petrol price rise. How much have, uh, have we just done together, Mark? Yeah, um, but I've, I've got to take the blame for that. It's, it's not on you. OK, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> now back to the political beltway. Another week, another cabinet minister in trouble, this time Kitty Allen, though her problems began last week, didn't they? Yes, yes, they did with um, allegations in the headlines. Uh, in fact, on the front page of the Capitals Daily, The Post, I think it was last Thursday, this is uh, claims about her conduct um, dealing with um, public servants and staff in her office. The, the headline on the front page, there was you know, claims of, quotes, screaming and yelling um, in a phone conversation. Uh, people are probably familiar with that uh, by now. But, you know, there were also, um, these were allegations that appeared to have been passed on to the media from, you know, either public servants who were unnamed or, you know, possibly from political rivals as well or a combination of both to make it onto the, the front page of the paper. But the thing about it was, you know, they have... In the, I didn't do it in the programme in the weekend because it felt like a thing that was still developing and you wondered, having published the scale that they did, the entire front page, you're thinking, is that it? Just this, uh, this phone conversation and a possible text message that people want to get at that might be a bit incriminating. It, it felt like they were hinting at something more that may be yet to come. And indeed, that's the problem. A lot of people and pundits then commenting on, you know, something given great prominence by the Post were sort of talking about it in a, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire mm. sort of way, but not really knowing the details. And I think that's kind of continued on through the weekend and even to this point. So if you've got examples, what sort of comments are you talking about? 
for example, uh, the TV3 or TV Channel 3, as it's now known, uh, weekend politics show News Hub Nation, they tend to look back on a week's politics. They ran a, a kind of brief summary report package about the, the allegations about Kitty Allen's behaviour towards staff, but they didn't summarise them at all well. Uh, maybe they just assumed people watching the show would already have known the guts of it from the news reports. Um, so they had various clips of people talking about it in Parliament or being doorstepped uh, and around a select committee meeting and the day that Kitty Allen came back to work and, and uh, talk about it, she returned from leave. So, yeah, it was not entirely clear if you were just watching the report what the strength of these claims was. Then they had their regular kind of political roundtable panel discussion discussing all of this and they started off with one of their guests who was the uh, former minister turned pundit Peter Dunn who had this to say about it all. Firstly, I don't know whether there's substance or not to these allegations. Hmm. I think that the, that's not the point. The real point is the damage they do to ongoing credibility by coming on the wake of other things. But I think what it raises for me, as does the, the Wood case and even elements of the Nash case beforehand, are that frankly there are people who are serving as ministers who don't seem to know what the responsibilities they've taken on actually imply and don't seem to know how to conduct themselves, whether it be filling in a disclosure form or how you treat staff. And to me, that's the bigger issue than the particularities of what she may or may not have said or the tone of voice she used. Which doesn't really sound very different from the sorts of things other analysts have been saying. Well, no, it doesn't. But that, that's in a way, that's the point. Like so many others, he was saying, look, I don't really know specifically what's gone on here with Kelly Allen or what she might have done in the past, in the way of conduct with staff. So then then going on to make a whole, well, assumptions really about how serious it might be and what it, also what it signifies. So like a lot of other people, so picked on Peter Dunn here, but, you know, it was sort of freighted on to a whole lot of other ministerial transgressions or shortcomings, you know, that have piled up lately, you know, the... Mm. I think the first was Stuart Nash, then Michael Wood, but that was the form filling out that Peter Dunn was talking about there, or the, or the lack of it, I guess, in disclosure. Jan Tanetti, um, very different, you know, still a minister, but, uh, you know, having to go to the Privileges Committee. And then I think the phrase that Peter Dunn used was the sense of the wheels coming off the chariot. I mean, it just seems a little bit unfair uh, specifically to put all that frame on it, mm. given that it hasn't yet been clearly established of what it is she's done wrong or what line might have been crossed. It, how about the way it came out in the media? You know, It was via anonymous claims of her behaviour. The media have been criticised for that. Almost in the same way, people have made assumptions about how the story came out and whether it might have been a, a bit of a dirty politics element to it. So I guess when you step back, the fact that uh, there was a senior civil servant named Penny Nelson, chief executive of DOC, who had spoken publicly about it. This was to do with a staffer uh, cutting short a secondment uh, in that ministerial office. That, I guess, gave it a bit of weight for the media beyond just these unnamed reports of possibly you know, raised voices or, or whatever. That element of it was seized on by Vernon Small, who's a former political reporter for the Dominion Post who went over to the uh, dark side, as they say, mm. uh, to be a press secretary for uh, David Parker, a government minister. So he drew, uh, drew attention to this in a column that he writes for the Post. Um, he said, the nature of the bureaucratic Mandarin is that they would normally rather cut off an arm with a rusty saw 
than make a public criticism of a minister, even an implied one. Um, and so, yeah, he went on to expand upon that, how, you know, public servants, you know, very reticent, reluctant to get involved in any kind of um, political uh, live argument like the one that surrounds Kitty Allen. But he, he went on to say, Vernon Small, it does not bode well for Allen. Her career is in the balance. If you're just an outsider reading this and you think, if that's all there is, if there isn't more to come or more form, no formal complaints made, you would be wondering why that necessarily has to be. But there's also, you know, the strong suspicion of some people, some people contacting us at Media Watch saying, look, the key claims in this were possibly uncovered by political opposition parties, rivals, and released at a time that could be really damaging to the government or taking the shine off the Prime Minister's trip to China, all of that. And Opposition MP Simeon Brown, uh, who has given a lot of sound bites about this, he appeared at a parliamentary select committee review for the Ministry of uh, Business, Innovation and Employment, which was attended by uh, Kitty Allen last week to uh, raise questions about this text message that has not yet uh, been released. But this was what Kitty Allen said in that select committee uh, in response to having these issues raised by MP Simeon Brown. You have OIA'd everything under the sun and you have still yet to turn anything up. Yes, so, you know, apparently a discussion of this sort of thing took up almost half of the select committee time for the review of the ministry. And, you know, really that's a kind of political party issue. So I think the chair of the committee was saying, look, we need to get back on track here, focus on this reviewing of the ministry. The point was made that, no, the top-down governance of a minister is part of operational matters, must be discussed, and so on. So, yeah, there are people who think this is a party political thing. Andrea Vance, the journalist who wrote the story for uh, The Post, she's uh, replied to people on social media who are saying, oh, come on, these are historic allegations being dredged up and, uh, and and amplified by the opposition at an awkward time for the government. Mm. She says, no, these are not historic. Some of these are quite current, uh, the accounts. Um, it's, it's not historic stuff at all. So, yeah, there's a lot of sensitivity, but for the moment, it's still unclear to me exactly just, just what the seriousness of, of this is. And the way a lot of the coverage has gone is projecting forward mm. uh, and, and making assumptions about how serious it could be. But it is, it's well known that stories, many stories of bad contact have been hidden or buried in the past, um, a culture that exposes cases, even if they turn out to be not that serious, I, I guess is better than one that, you know, hides them away. Yeah, that's very true. And of course, we've had, you know, in the wake of the Debbie Francis report into the working culture of Parliament, which was pretty damning. And, you know, we have had senior journalists saying, look, you know, there were things that went on in the past that were buried, silenced, and, and that isn't good. And in the end, I don't think it helps that so many people are commenting on, you know, what the possible impact of, what, of this might be, the political impact, without really knowing either the substance or the sources of the allegations in this particular case. There's one more example of that, actually, that I had to hand on nine to noon on Monday in the in the political slot that Catherine Ryan does every Monday with a, a pundit leaning to the left and one to the right. She said before she discussed it, look, I only know what I've read in the paper and so on, but then went on to put this to her guests. What happens if he has to, and let's just take this as a hypothetical, because as you say, with a lack of formal complaints um, uh, and, and, you know, he certainly won't be in a hurry to lose his fourth minister since he took over as prime minister. And she's very forcefully defended herself. Yes. Let's just take it as a hypothetical, though, whether it's her or someone else at the moment. Like, for a start, who else do you allocate portfolios to? I think she picked up some portfolios when Michael Wood went. Yeah, so there Catherine's really speculating about what would or should happen if 
Kilda Allen or then she's any other minister has to go. So I, I, I know there's a, a, it's a deep political discussion that they're having that's a purpose of it but throwing forward to like well what happens if they lose another minister they're getting very thin aren't they and struggling towards an election I understand all that but that to me seems really one jump on given given what has been confirmed and reported in, in mm. public so far. And I guess it goes to show that how big a distraction these stories become as many people were pointing out you know the Prime Minister just met President Xi of China, the big man, our biggest trading partner. <laughs> Indeed, and that very point was made uh, on that same News Hub Nation uh, political panel discussion that we heard earlier that Peter Dunn uh, featured on. They all agreed, in fact, that you know this was a tricky sort of banana skin potential uh, for slip-ups on going to China because the diplomacy is so awkward for Chris Hipkins. But uh, it did make me laugh when Catherine's guest pundit on 9 to noon last Monday, Gareth Hughes, we heard from briefly in that clip just before, uh, reflected on how he believed Chris Hipkins and co had done well on that uh, tricky diplomatic uh, mission to China. He phrased it like this. Yeah, I mean, this is much more important news to the country and even Wellingtonians. And I agree with Ben, you know, he was literally walking a tightrope over shark-infested waters. So, Marco, I have checked and... uh, Chris Hipkins, Prime Minister, was not literally walking on any tightrope over any shark-infested waters, literally, at any point of his uh, recent (laughs) overseas trip. Okay, well, someone else walking a bit of a tightrope this week, uh, but again, not literally, Wellington's Mayor, Tori Whanau. Again, the Post, the Capitals Daily, another front page entirely filled with uh, another kind of conduct of a, a leading politician. So on Monday, the headline on the paper was, Honest mistake, in quotes, those being the words of Tori Fano. Uh, drunk, in quotes, mayor's behaviour questioned after skipping out on dinner bill. And online on stuff.co.nz, the same story, the headline is a bit different, um, but not much better for the mayor. Uh, mayor Tori Fano denies waiter's claim she was drunk and asked, do you know who I am? Pretty tough to wake up to that in the morning. Yeah, and indeed on Monday morning, uh, so some days after, uh, she appeared on News Talk ZB's Wellington morning show uh, with the local host, uh, Nick Mills. I don't know whether that was pre-booked or not. If so, um, either way, good on her for turning up. Uh, And she actually spoke about what it was like to read that in the paper. How's this all affecting you? What's what? How did you wake up this morning looking oh. at the paper? What, what? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's always a surprise to see yourself on the front page of the paper. Um, but look, you know, I do want to put this into context. So what was the context? <laughs> well, in a nutshell, um, if you, as you know, if you've followed the, the news about it, she was saying big week of council business uh, and some wins in council with like let's get Wellington moving the public transport plan and reshaping the Golden Mile etc. Uh, so she was letting her hair down on a Friday night. Got tipsy. Those are her words uh, or her her, um, her her own description. And that non-payment of the bill was just a misunderstanding. She went to the bathroom. Someone else. She thought it had been paid. And by the time that story hit the front page, it had all been sorted out that she realised uh, the bill hadn't been paid. Um, mm. Don't you know who I am? That's a great line, that uh, one, isn't it? Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> Did she bit, say it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's partly the problem, isn't it? Um, I think Gareth Hughes in that same nine-to-noon discussion described it as those, those toxic six words or something like that. Um, yeah, Aaron Gilmore, MP, of course, these were uh, backbench MP. We probably wouldn't 
remember at all if it weren't for um, for him saying that. Now, she's flatly denied that, but it did emerge from later accounts that um, she was in another pub before that restaurant incident. Uh, so it was pretty awkward on that News Talk ZB show where she did a full hour with Nick Mills, and he pushed her very hard on, um, well, effectively, just how tipsy were you? Uh, let's just say a little bit merry after a few wines and a hearty meal. Were you dancing? Not there, I wasn't. Were you slurring your speech? No, no, I wasn't. I was actually having a really wonderful conversation with the uh, table next to me. Um, you know, a group of Americans had just moved to Wellington. And um, oh, it, was, it was a really lovely night. Um, but again, it was just a private dinner with a friend. Were your eyes bloodshot? No. So you didn't fail the test? No, I didn't fail the test. I wasn't wearing makeup. Maybe that's what half the problem was. Yeah, Mark, I don't think it was the lack of makeup that was the problem actually there, but it did make me wonder. That was a funny question. Like, how would you know if your own eyes were bloodshot during a night out? Exactly. The accounts of uh, Wellington politicians on the Raz were always, uh, they featured uh, the likes of, uh, you know, the Green Parrot or Whiskey on Courtney Place or. Winston Peters. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, sure. And I mean, this has this point has been made that this, I keep going back to um, Jane Clifton, uh, the veteran political uh, writer. She wrote a book called Political Animals some years back now, more than more than 10 years ago. But she reflected on being, a, uh, when she was young in the gallery during the, the 1980s, the, the Parliamentary Press Gallery, she wrote about senior ministers all dining together, taking squads of journalists with them, paying the bill at the best restaurants when there weren't that many in Wellington to choose from, even taking them home in their crown cars. Uh, Guy and Espen fairly recently wrote about, uh, this is 2008, I think in the run-up to the election, going out drinking with Duncan Garner and John Key, when I think he was leader of the National Party in opposition, um, yes, about to go into that election. They were at Wellington Southern Cross, big boozy evening. You never read any of this stuff at the time. I mean, journalist drinking, no big deal. But when the, a part of it with the politicians, I don't know if you can do this two ways, just focus on the politicians if, if they get a bit tipsy. And ZB, uh, that show with... Um, with Tori Fano, Mick Mills returned to it on his show today on Wednesday, and he's really interesting because he is actually, as well as hosting the show, he owns several hospo businesses in Wellington and bars. And uh, on a show today, he raised the privacy issue and said possibly uh, the restaurant in question, you know, faces questions for speaking publicly about um, Tori Fano. You know, I've seen politicians this this calendar month that I've had to help put in a taxi. They were, you know, yeah. they were way far gone than what I saw on the video of Tori Fano. You know, I didn't, I didn't ring, I didn't ring um, uh, Georgina Campbell and say, George, I've got a story for you, did I? Yeah, no. Very interesting. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, other MPs this calendar month having to be had, helped into a taxi. Yes, indeed. Mm. Have you got time to slip in a bit about stuff, the latest update there? Recently, we on RNZ's website reported that stuff was shaking up its uh, senior editorial levels and some people who've been with the company for quite a time might be leaving as a result of it. As part of it, um, they proposed to make the Sunday Star Times and Wellington's daily paper, The Post, have a single editorship. And at the point that we revealed this, I don't think most of the staff knew about it, but uh, staff uh, did confirm to the Herald yesterday that um, Caitlin Cherry, the editor of The Post, would be leaving the job, so not seeking that joint editor role. And today, staff themselves did formally confirm that Tracy Watkins, the current editor of uh, the Sunday Star Times, will take on that role. So effectively, Wellington's daily, The Post, 
which they've tried to make more of a national issues and politics focused paper, uh, will now be a kind of seven day operation uh, with Tracy Watkins um, in charge of it editorially and also the, the Sunday news. Uh, and so that's uh, that's the change they've made. And they've uh, thanked Caitlin for a contribution because she only started editing the paper in uh, February, I think, and you know saw through that name change uh, to the post and that rebalancing of the content. Not long for her to um, to be in charge of the paper, and the, the statement just says she's moving on to other challenges. Is there another story to be told there? Uh, I don't know, but I mean, clearly it can't have been part of the plan to appoint her, see through a big change like that, and then, uh, you know, not to have the paper available for her to edit, (laughs) having given her the job, yeah, less than than six months on. Colin, thank you so much. Um, And so, yeah, start again now and prepare for a Sunday morning's programme, eh? Yeah, there's plenty left over to deal with on the weekend, don't (laughs) worry. Good on you, and thanks so much. Thank you, mate.